Hi, this is Braden Holpe. Hey, this is Tanner the Bulldozer Bozer. Hi, this is Brian Burke from Toronto, Ontario. This is Daryl Sutter. Hello, everyone. I'm Carly Agro from Sportsnet Central. This is Jay Onright. This is Quick Dick Quick Dick coming to you from Tufnell, Saskatchewan. Hey, everybody. My name is Steel Fleury. This is Kelly Rudy. This is Corey Cross. This is Wade Redden. This is Jordan Tutu. My name is Jim Patterson. Hey, it's Ron McLean, HockeyNet in Canada and Rogers Hometown Hockey, and welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Hope everybody had a great weekend. I turned the big 3-5 over the weekend, uh, and i got to give a shout-out to my lovely wife who got me uh, a new board game, Crokino. Uh, for you who have never played it, fantastic little game. I didn't get really play it because the little ones were uh, stealing pieces, so we put it away, but I'm rather excited about it. Um, on uh, May 1st, so on, on Saturday, we released our Bike for Breakfast, so that's coming June 4th to 6th. There's a group of 10 of us from uh, the city that are going to be biking to raise money for local uh, breakfast programs in, in uh, holy man, a, a ton of schools. But if you want more info, head to Bike for Breakfast, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and you can find more information out there. Before we get to today's episode, let's get on to our episode sponsors, Carly Kloss and the team over at Windsor Plywood, builders of the podcast studio table. Uh, for everything wood, these are the guys. You know, deck season is upon us, and Windsor is stocked up on their Micro Pro Sienna Brown treated lumber. So if you got a backyard project on the go, stop in and see the group at Windsor Plywood, or just hop on your phone and do what I do, do a little creeping, and uh, find out what their latest project is. You know, whether we're talking about mantles, decks, windows, doors, sheds, these are the guys, all right? Give them a call, 780-875-9663. T-Bar One Transport, since 2002, for more than 19 years, the team at T-Bar has offered excellent service, and they always put the community first. They are donating the pilot truck for this uh, um, bike for breakfast. So shout out to the boys at T-Bar for hopping on board. Uh, they're located now in Lloydminster, and of course, their new spot, Bonneville. They can cover all your heavy haul needs. In their fleet, they have tank movers, 45-ton pickers, one-ton flat decks, Texas bed, winch truck, highway tractors, and they go all over the place from Saskatchewan, B.C., uh, up north. They were just coming back from Fort Mac. Just They're, they're everywhere. And uh, if, you need, if you need to get some things moved, give the boys at T-Bar a call, 780 780- 205-1709. Jen Gilbert and the team over at Coldwell Banker since 1976. That's 45 years. The dedicated realtors have served Lloydminster and the surrounding area. They offer star power by providing their clients with seven-day-a-week access. Service is a priority because they know big life decisions are not made during office hours. That's Coldwell Banker, Cityside Realty, for everything real estate, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Give them a call, 780-875-3343. Mortgage broker Jill Fisher, she's been uh, very kind. Uh, she's been dealing with me. <laughs> I've been joking about this for a few few weeks now. But I think we finally got everything signed. We're just waiting on a couple things, and I'm sure she's going to be happy to be like, whew, that's all done. But she proudly serves the areas of Lloydminster, Bonneville, Cold Lake, and Vermilion, and looks forward to working with you for all your mortgage needs. Uh, she's not limited in the products uh, they can offer and where they can go. Instead, brokers seek out the best lender package to suit your specific situation. And I can just talk about my experience. She's been fantastic. Um, well, I've been, I don't know, Jill, you, as you've listened to this, you probably know better than me, but I, th- I want to say like, I've been talking to Jill for like a year now and we're finally locking up the deal. So if you uh, want to get in, uh, figure out maybe what, what you got going on or what you can do, give her a call 780-872-2914 or take a look at her website, jfisher.ca. Clay Smiley and the team over at Profit River. They specialize in importing firearms from the United States of America. They pride themselves in uh, making the process easy for all their customers. The team at Profit River does all the appropriate paperwork on both sides of the border in order to legally get the firearm into Canada and put it in your hands. Also, they take care of registering the firearm and transferring it to your PAL or FAC before shipping them by mail, courier, bus to wherever you are. Just go to ProfitRiver.com and check them out today. They are the major retailer of firearms, optics, and accessories, and they serve all of Canada. Uh, SMP billboard now across, down out by the airport. Uh, I got to give a shout out to Read and Write and uh, all the amazing work they've done for me. Um, I deal with Mrs. Deanna Wandler. She's fantastic. And uh, if you're looking for outdoor signage, give them a call at 306-825-5111. 
Gartner Management, uh, Lloyd Minster based company specializing in all types of rental properties to help meet your needs. You know, Wade's been fantastic uh, to me. So whether you're looking for a small office or a 6,000 square foot commercial space, give Wade Gartner a call today, 780-808-5025. And if you're in any of these businesses, make sure you let them know you heard about them from the podcast, right? Now, let's get on to that T-Bar 1 tale of the tape. Originally from Edmonton, Alberta, an alumni of the Nate Ukes basketball program, owner of Killing Herb Inc., customer-focused sales training, and a member of the Canadian Coast Guard Auxiliary. I'm talking about Dennis Chopko. So buckle up, here we go. This is Dennis Chopko, and welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. All right. Well, welcome to the Sean Newman podcast. Uh, today I have joining me Dennis Chopko. So first off, thanks for hopping on. Hey, it's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. Now, the first thing I'm going to ask is you're the first person I've ever had on here in 200 episodes that uh, is standing. So is that a comfort thing or is that, what is it? It, it, it is partly due to comfort, but it's a lot. I, I teach courses. And so for the last 16 years, I've been traveling across North America doing keynote speeches. And in keynotes, you're generally standing up and moving. And now with the pandemic kicking in, we had to switch to virtual training. And with that virtual training, we've set up this studio that I use. And I prefer to stand. It allows the energy to move through me. It allows me to be a bit more energetic, a bit more animated for being here. So yeah, so standing, I, I just, uh, for teaching and instructing, it's just something that I've been doing and that, that we stuck with. Hmm, very interesting. Well, um, are you enjoying the virtual ability of teaching or do you miss being in the room feeling the energy? I miss being in the room feeling the energy. So uh, what I teach is we call it a sales course because it seems like everything needs labels, but really it is an empathy-based communication process. And I'm all about connecting with other human beings and helping people connect more effectively and communicate more effectively. And so the pandemic, I feel, has set us back. And in fact, in a lot of our, my courses, I talk about if we drive an electronic wedge between human beings, the closer we get to war. So it is a concern. I definitely would much rather be in a group of people, shaking hands, uh, meeting new people that way. But hey, we've got to deal with the situation at hand. And so we've switched to virtual and in that comes, you know, for every strength, there's a weakness and every weakness, there's a strength. We can get to more people, more time zones. We can get across the ocean and I don't have to travel right now, which was getting a little long in the tooth. So that is a benefit for being at home as well. Uh, I, I, I hear you. That I'm a, well, a salesman by trade and there's something about being in the room with somebody that is just, wow, that's so human, right? Like that, that connection is being able to see the body language. I find it very enjoyable to see, even from this side, being able to see more of your body is just, it's like rather enjoyable because I can see your actions where, you know, on my side, you can't see what I'm doing with my hands. Well, you kind of can, but you know what I mean? All you can get is exactly what you're doing. The head nod, the, the, the smile, but that's it. And in sales, there's a whole heck of a lot more. But before we get too deep into sales and all that good stuff, I don't know. I, I was saying to you this before we started. Uh, if my listeners just tuned in, they're going, Sean, who the heck is Dennis Chopka? And who and why is he on? And so I'm curious. I was saying before, you're a bit of an enigma. Uh, a common friend, Donnie, reached out and said that uh, you'd be a hell of a guest to have on. So where is Dennis originally from? Uh, originally from Edmonton, Alberta. So not too far away from Lloyd Minster. And I, I like the shout out you gave to Donnie Atkinson, an absolute gem of a human being. He's got his <laughs> own exciting story. And uh, we've always joked that I'd attach my cart to his horse or vice versa. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here at his request. And I'm happy that he's spreading the good word. So yes, Edmonton. And I've spent quite a bit of time in Lloyd. Actually, we've got quite a few clients and friends there as well. Now, were you always in sales? Was this or was this something you kind of stumbled into? Uh, I'm assuming you've always enjoyed talking to people and maybe felt comfortable in those situations, but what did you do growing up or were you always drawn towards the, you know, getting in front of people? Interesting. And uh, so I actually was drawn to basketball. So I know that you were a hockey player and that you played high level uh, hockey. Well, mine was basketball. And I ended up going down to college down in the States to play basketball. 
And in doing so, I was taking sciences. And so I took my, my science, I was working on chemistry, I was working on pre-medicine. And then ultimately the coach that I had got fired for stealing money from the school and new coach came in. And uh, long story short, uh, I had my scholarship pulled and I ended up coming back. And when I came back, my provincial basketball coach said to me at that time, he said, hey, I heard you're back in town. Uh, we could use you. We'd love you to play. You can sign up tonight or, you know, get dressed tonight. And that was Nate. And so I ended up switching back from college in Montana to Nate. And then because I had the chemistry and the science background, I ended up going into the lab and research option. I suited up that night and ended up playing the rest of the season for Nate. And uh, we had a good finish the season. And then I started going on the lab and research. So I actually graduated as a lab and research professional and ended up working in the genetics lab at the U of A. Uh, but I found out very quickly that people don't like to have conversations a lot in the lab. And I started to get a little squirrely working in the lab. And hence, that's what springboarded me out into the selling profession. Uh, so then I guess I, from there, I, I ended up working for a Fortune 500 IT company at a young age, worked my way up quickly, became one of the youngest sales managers in the history of that company. And in doing so, they said, okay, Hotshot, you want to have a team so bad? Here you go. I had half the team had been in the business longer than I'd been alive. So you can imagine how excited they were to have me as a sales manager. Not very. And then the other half were brand new. Tags still hanging from their dress clothes saying, you know, what do we do next? What do we do next? And to top it all off, they were dead last. They were dead last in the company. And so one of the things that as you and I get to chat a little bit more, I read voraciously. I love to read. And uh, I was searching for a life preserver at that time going, well, sales kind of came naturally to me in the sense that I was empathetic. I listened and I asked a lot of questions. But it was really an unconscious sale and I had to turn it into a conscious sale in order to be able to sell or help other people on my team sell. And so I'd found a book and that book was called Getting Into Your Customer's Head. And it was all about, we know so much about selling, yet we know very little about how people buy. What are the steps that people go through to make a decision to buy? So I took Kevin Davis's book, I adopted the process, and we went from dead last to number one in a matter of six months. And then from there, we shattered every other sales record that that company had had. I got headhunted into another company that outfitted professional sports teams and hence where I interacted with Mr. Donnie Atkinson. And in working with Donnie, we saw the same success there in a matter of about eight months where we saw an increase in sales. And uh, from there, at that point, uh, there's always a catalyst for change. And the person that I was working with at that time, I was absolutely amazed that someone of that character could be running a company that was somewhat successful. And I thought, well, if they could do it, so could I. And I actually ended up approaching the author for getting into your customer's head, Kevin Davis. And I said, hey, I got an idea for a program based on your book. I've been honing this. I've been learning how to do it. And I've been kind of shaping the streetwise version of your, your theory. I'd like to get together. He said, come on down. And so I went down there. I spent a couple of weeks with him. We developed the program. And for the last 16 years, I've been traveling across North America uh, delivering the message and, and working on there. So that's kind of the springboard into sales, if you will. You're telling me you're a basketball chemistry guy who eventually stumbles into a weird way of, of sales. That's what you're telling me? Yes. So you're, you're, <laughs> that you're, uh, the school you go to in Montana where the coach, um, stealing money, embezzling money, you never had any thoughts of like trying to get back there. It was just kind of like so quick. All of a sudden you're playing for the Ooks. Yeah, it was, it was really quick. You know, it's expensive to go down to school in the States. And uh, I have to say, I spent most of my summer playing basketball, not working and earning money because I felt that everything was covered. And when that got yanked, I ended up coming home and it was a bit of an emergency drastic move of, of coming home, but everything happens for a reason. You know, stoic philosopher says, you know, what's in your control, what's not in your control. And, and I'm a firm believer that it happened. And, and I'm very thankful that it did because I played out some great, great seasons that Nate ended up getting the Silver Torch Award for them and met some great people, learned some great skills. And uh, it's funny how it all just kind of builds now to, to what we're doing. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. So Kevin Davis actually came back to me a few years later after I started delivering this message. And he goes, hey, I'm doing a rewrite of the book. Would you like to help me? And I said, well, absolutely. I've been pitching your book for the last eight years. I'd love to be a part of it. So I actually got a chance to do a rewrite of the book uh, with Kevin as well. And so that kind of took off from there. So it's, it's, it's an interesting story. It doesn't necessarily make sense, Sean, but it's- No, no, I, I, I uh, actually, 
I, I find lots of it very intriguing, right? Like, uh, you know, the, the stoic in you is, is, I find that very intriguing, right? Like these cause and effect events, you know, if you'd stayed down in the States, maybe you never would have came back to Nate or probably wouldn't have. And, and by going there, et cetera, et cetera, it just leads there. Um, when you, when you quit the lab job or when you're thinking of quitting the lab job, why fortune 500? Uh, well, I did have a connection that was in that company already that was saying that they were looking for people. So they were looking for people for selling like printers and software and copiers and fax machines and things like that. And so it was a connection at the time. Um, I did work at a gym for a little bit selling gym memberships, which I really liked, but it wasn't as lucrative. And I remember a girlfriend at the time said, hey, you're better than this. Take a look at something better. And that's so it was a combination of starting in the profession, having somebody that was in a in another role that said, hey, you can get involved in this and there's some decent money in it. Come check it out. And that's how I ended up there. So you, what were you selling then when, when you when you got good at like when you're smashing and they're, they're giving you a team? What were you selling? Yeah. So we were selling like document services. So we would say anything to do with like software, information management, uh, photocopiers, high, like high level printers, uh, color systems. So we were selling to any, basically any business that's moving information. So that's kind of what we were selling. Now, this is going to be a real dumb question because I just, but doesn't that sound kind of boring where you just kind of like, I'm going to sell what now? Or were you just like, as soon as you started digging into it, did it start to have a little more, or it doesn't matter what you're selling because you like the interaction with the customer. I guess I'm curious. Yeah, it was the interaction with the customer that really drew me to it and meeting new people all the time. That part I really enjoyed. But it's interesting when you talk about the higher calling of it, it didn't have that for me. And ultimately, I think that was where the springboard that, that, that I, I went off to do something. Well, you and I had talked about this before is my personal tagline is if we focus on the success of others, ours will naturally follow. And so I thought, you know, by selling someone a printer or a photocopier, am I really making their lives better? Well, in a small way I am, right? If it doesn't jam, you remember from the movie Office Space where people <laughs> went outside and beat it with a baseball bat and they had to hold the person back. So in a way that you can help save people some frustration and, and help them have a better day in the office, but it didn't necessarily speak to me as much as I wanted. And so ultimately the calling that came out of there when I set up my own business, killing her bank, getting rid of the herb tarlicks, the, the slimy shysters in the selling profession and helping good people achieve success in sales. For, for me, that was the higher calling then. And then I was able to help people uh, on a different level, help them communicate more effectively and then also help good people get into sales because everybody's always heard, oh, you know, this person's a natural, they're good at it. And when I was saying, well, I think we can teach people how to do this, help them communicate. And then, you know, I think they say nine out of 10 people are involved in the selling profession in North America, right? So that was the calling was to get out and help. There, well, so. I always say, Dennis, everybody's selling um, because it, it doesn't matter if you're actually, you know, in a sales position selling copiers. Every day you're selling yourself to somebody else, right? Like, that, it, heck, uh, talking about uh, Office Space, right? The movie, right? You're trying to sell it. If you really like that show or that movie or pick an, another popular show, you can sell that to your friends. And that's a form of selling, right? And that's, that's an interaction daily. We just don't look at it the same. But as social media becomes this juggernaut, which it truly is, right? You're selling yourself all the time on that if you're active on it, right? That's essentially what it is. It's a social interaction. That's what sales is. Absolutely. You know, a doctor, what are they selling? They're selling health and wellness. An engineer, what are they selling? Attention to detail and following regulations and making sure things are safe. You're right. Everybody is selling something, right? And the whole idea is, is, is it making someone better? Well, I really like your, your, if we focus on the success of others, ours will naturally follow. I think that's uh that's a powerful statement, right? Like, um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know, people call that karma, right? You put good into the world and good will come back to you, so to speak. But like what you're saying there is to me a pretty deep thought that a lot of salespeople don't think of. They think of growth and numbers and how much is he buying or her buying or what are they spending or how are we bringing it here and you know, uh, one of the things that intrigued me about you is uh, I'd said this 
uh, probably about a month ago about how a good salesman is like Sherlock Holmes. He's, he's just, he's just looking, he's listening and he's watching for clues because a, a person that is a prospective client, is going to tell you everything. And when I hear you talk about being a empathy and, and being a good listener, uh, to me, that's exactly what getting in the room is. You get in the room and you let them, you just find out what they need. Cause if you got copiers and they don't need them, I mean, you could try and sell all you want, but you're just at the end of the day, not wasting your time, but you might as well figure out their problem so you can solve it for them. That's exactly what it is. And it's interesting. You say Sherlock Holmes. Why well, say that Socrates was the very first Socrates? Customer. Yeah salesperson because he didn't tell anybody anyone he just asked a series of questions to bring them to the realization of oh yeah this could be better or oh i hadn't thought of that and that's really the role you know it's interesting it is all the course like i said we call it a sales course but it's really it's understanding how people buy and there's some really interesting studies there where they took a look at that we as human beings, anytime we're faced with a decision where there's some sort of risk involved, we go through eight predictable steps. And further to that is we get verbal and physical indicators that pinpoint where we're at in our decision-making process. So our, our, our thinking is the better we understand how someone buys, makes the decision to acquire something, is the better we can work with them through that process as opposed to trying to drag them through some 1970s Herb Tarlick-like manipulative sales. And so it's really, you're right, it's about understanding. It's got nothing to do with what we're selling. It's everything, it's finding out what it is that you're needing and what are the challenges you're dealing with and what can we do to help you through those. And so it's, it's, it's where I say with Socrates, you know, talking about that first customer-focused salesperson, I get asked all the time when I was traveling and when I get to a hotel, what are you here for? Oh, I'm, I'm here speaking at the conference. What are you speaking on sales? Oh, can you give me a sales tip? Right? Everybody's like, can you give me a sales tip? And so I said, I can give you the shortest course in selling. And I said, the shortest course in selling is four words. And it's ask questions and listen. And it's just the type of questions that you ask that will determine the type of information that you get. But it's more about listening. A lot of people think that sales is about, you know, giving good answers and problem solving not true. It's about asking good questions and problem finding. The person who finds the problem is generally the one that gets to address it. Yeah, I, I would, well, I just, I really agree with that. Um, you know, when you go back in your career, let's go back to Dennis, the young basketball player, former lab man. Did you learn that rate? Like how long did it take you to learn some of that? Like, was it natural or did you have a mentor who kind of showed you the ropes or did you have a bunch of blunders where you said, I got to get better at this? Uh, well, it's on the shoulders of giants that we stand. And so I'm constantly learning from those that I've worked with. I had some great mentors through the different roles. I think my parents, uh, you know, my dad is probably the most honest man that I've ever met. And as a younger lad, I used to argue with them, but now I see the error in my ways and recognizing that, you know, honesty is the best path and leaving something on the table for the next individual. You know, another great quote that my dad used to say to us is you can hope in one hand and crap in the other. See which fills up faster. you got to take action. And so definitely, yes, I've had some great mentors. I, I also mentioned that I love to read. And so I remember I had a neighbor give me a book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior written by Dan Millman. And it's a book that says it's a book that changes lives. And it does. And it's a fictional story. But in, in it embedded is a lot of different philosophies and theories on humanity. And so I picked up on that and really enjoyed the reading. And then I picked up The Republic, uh, written by Plato. And that's, you know, Socrates writing. And one of the cool things in that book, that, that really the whole book is about why we should be good. It's four young guys come to Socrates and say, well, why should we be good? And then Socrates says, well, okay, well, that's a big question. Let's sit down and talk. And so he just asked him a bunch of questions throughout the book. And the Coles Notes version of that book, The Republic, is really this is as we get closer to death, either we start to believe the stories we've been told to be true, or we get some sort of clearer perception of it as we get closer. Every single human being reckons up. They look back at their lives and they say, what type of life did we lead? Now, the, those that led the life that was, they, they hurt, they murdered, they cheat, they lied, they stole, their life becomes filled with foreboding. They don't know what happens next when they cross the threshold. But those people that, that, that they, we know people like to laugh more than they like to cry. They like to love more than they like to help. And that we were trying to help everybody in our community in any way that we could. And that we were honest and we were loving and all these things. Those people get what they call peace of mind or the comfort of old age. Is that they can cross that threshold going, 
you know, I, I did what I thought was right. And I, I have no qualms about that. And so after I, I read that book, it really became my mission of when I look back on my life, what kind of life did I lead? And did I help? And did I, you know, spread a message of, of compassion and love and empathy and helping others? And so since that point, I've dedicated all my learning towards that. I've dedicated all my work towards that. And uh, ultimately with the hope that we can have that, you know, comfort of old age, that peace of mind across the threshold. That's got to be a... Uh... just like an, not an easy life to live because I'm not meaning like, uh, money wise. I just mean like peace of mind. Like that is something, well, I just, I'll say it again. Like I really admire that. I, 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 that's what I'm chasing. I, I think of that all the time. Right. I just want to do some good, want the community to be good, want to help people, want to be the, you know, people can trust and what I say I do and a handshake means a handshake and, and, and so forth and so on. And uh, so you're saying then that in the beginning, you read a lot and that helped you with sales. Yeah, absolutely. And still do. Like I said, from that initial book, it's interesting. I'm teaching a course right after this when you and I get off. So I've got everything laid out. But when I found this first book, this initial book, that's when I started reading. It was Kevin's idea, focus on the buying, not the selling. So that had an impact. From there, I picked up The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, then The Republic. Then I start getting into Epictetus and Stoicism and, and then I'm reading biographies and you're learning and every step of the way you're taking it. And then, you know, it's interesting, this tagline of focusing on the success of others has been testing. It, it, it's an easier life. The, the moment that I made the decision that I would not lie, Sean, so they, there's a big thing. So I'd say 12 years ago, I made the conscious decision that I would not lie. And that even comes down to you running late for a coffee and you know you're gonna be there in 15 minutes, you know the person's waiting and you say, I'll be there in five minutes. And I always see, I go, why do people do that? Even though they know what's gonna happen, <laughs> they set up the wrong expectation. And so now, now I've made it my life's mission that, that I tell the truth. In fact, they say the mouse should have three gatekeepers. Um, is it true? Uh, is it kind? And is it necessary? Those are the three things. And so when you talk about living an easier life, as soon as I made that decision, my life became easier. You don't need a memory. If you tell the truth all the time, you, you, you don't need a memory. You know, I remember someone telling me when I worked with them, they said, oh, what, a, uh, what an elaborate web, web we weave when we first deceive, right? And I just think so many people's lives are complicated because they fail to realize the power of words, of what comes out of our mouth. And really and truly, I, I think the only things that we have talking about, we talked about stoic uh, philosophy there, or we're getting into it, is really the only things that we have control over in this life is how we move our arms and legs and what comes out of our pie hole. That's it. And the moment that we take uh, responsibility for those two things, a new evolution is born. Hmm. I really enjoy what you're saying, Dennis. I, I hope, I, I really hope uh, the listeners, uh, you know, you're killing herb. People are listening to this and, and getting out of it what I'm getting out of it because I, I, I really enjoy this. I would say one of the things I'd add into uh, we have control over what comes out of your mouth and your arms and everything else is once you start doing that, opportunities are going to present themselves daily. And you just got to open your eyes and see those for what they are and then go grab them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's an amazing world that, that, that we live in. And I feel that as you get closer to your own truth, as you get closer to it, is that you start to connect with this, the, the energy of the world, so to speak. And then these opportunities just start to open up to you and that they, it, you meet new people and you're like, oh, that's interesting. And that, that I didn't think that, you know, like you're absolutely right. New opportunities open because of the path, right? Well, I mean, just Put it the, the opposite way. If you started doing bad things, opportunities are going to open themselves too. Just more of the same because you're going to be surrounded by that network and whatever that you know, comprises of. Uh, we I was just saying the other day, you know, um, Jordan Peterson, an author, he'd written, talked about self-authoring where you write where you could go bad, right? The worst case scenario for your life. And then maybe where you could get to if you set your mind to it. And uh, if you write about the bad, it can push you to motivate you to chase what you want, because it's not that hard to 
imagine if I make a couple of poor choices, what that could maybe lead me, uh, lead me down to. And if you could figure that out as, as an individual, it'd be pretty easy to, to run from that because that, that type of fear, that type of knowing where it could get is motivating, powerful. It is. And you know, you touch on something. So I, I wrote an article that was the embrace the way of the hard choice. And so every day we wake up, we have the exact same choice presented to us every day. We've got the easy choice and the hard choice. Now it'll come with different costumes, different makeup, different masks, but every day that we wake up, we've got the hard choice and we've got the easy choice. So as an example, the easy choice would be hit the snooze button. So now you hit the snooze button, you sleep in, you're 15 minutes delayed in what you went, you got up, maybe you can't iron the dress shirt, so you pack that quickly, and then you're on the move and you're going off to the next meeting and now you're scrambling behind it. So the easy choice is only easy at the beginning, but then it gets continually harder thereafter. Like the tractor pull, as you're pulling it, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And if you continue to take the easy choice, ultimately it will kill you. It will, it'll take you down that path and take you up. But in the way of the hard choice, so let's say the hard choice is I'm going to wake up 15 minutes early. Yeah, it's hard. You know, it's hard. It's hard to get out of bed. It's hard to drag the carcass and get moving. So you get out and you start moving. But then the beauty of the hard choice is that it gets easier over time. And the more that you actually make the way of the hard choice, then it gets easier. Now, I, I also recognize, you know, this can parlay into a much bigger topic on many things. And in the case of addiction, the hard choice at the beginning could almost kill you if it doesn't kill you. But then once you make that hard choice and you embrace the way of the hard choice, then everything becomes easier, easier thereafter. And I find today is that a lot of today's society is, is duped into making the easy choice and then justifying why they took the easy choice. So it's, it's, it's interesting. I do. I, it all does come down to choices. Absolutely. Well, the easy choice is everywhere around us, you know, like, um, Speaking of reading things, my dad had been really hard on, not hard on me, been pushing on me to read uh, Fort Pitt Trail, which is the story of settlers around this area, right? And and like reading what they went through. And it's like, holy Dinah, right? And you think of today, like it's Netflix and chill. It's, it's I don't know, you don't, I joke about Audible. Like I love being able to drive and listen to a book, but I mean, even the physical act of reading a book, now we've found ways to make that, I don't know, so-called easier. Like, you know, I, I, I heard somebody say like once upon a time you had to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Now you can buy Uncrustables. That is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? Like you, you don't have to do the physical. And so as time goes on, things get easier, which is hard to, you know, adjust to making a hard choice as you call it. But if you do certain things like that, and feel that because that, that is something that is very palatable. Like you can just like, Ooh, it was hard to get up the extra 15 minutes or maybe it's an extra hour, right. And get up and start moving. But once you do that, it's hard to forget about that. Like it's almost impossible to see what an extra hour in the morning can give a person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, the, 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 the path of least resistance is the worst path we can take. And I think it was Seneca that said, a gem can't be polished without friction. Same goes for human beings. It's what makes us, the obstacle is what makes us stronger, which makes us better. You know, there's an interesting story in the way of the peaceful warrior of this old guy, he takes on this young Dan and uh, he's trying to teach him to be a better human being. And he gets Dan to pull him up the hill in a wagon and all the neighbors are making fun of this old guy getting pulled up the hill in this wagon while the young kid's sweating away pulling up this old guy and they get to the top of the hill and Socrates says to the young dad he's like all right hop in let's ride it down and now they ride the wagon down and they're hooting and hollering and they love it and they almost crash at the bottom and they get out and then uh, Dan says oh yeah he's like Socrates he's like you know going downhill he's like that was so much fun and Socrates looks at Dan and says yes but which makes you stronger Right. And I think that really spoke to me in that one is that, you know, it's, it's not always about taking the easy path. It's not always about taking the easy choice is it's the hard choices and the hard path. I think that make us better and make us stronger. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of wisdom in old Socrates, isn't there? Oh, there is. And in, in, in all philosophers, I, I feel like I really go back to the, the philosophers of old, they knew more about being 
human than we do today. There is so much distraction today. And you're talking about the settlers in your area. Man, what a hardy breed. Like what a hardy breed. Like we are so soft compared to, you know, our, our, our forefathers and our foremothers before us compared to what they toiled and suffered through. But I guarantee that their enjoyment and their satisfaction with life was much greater than, than what we're experiencing today. Well, I will hop in there and say one of the cool things about the stories in there is it's talking about like, you know, living through the Canadian prairie winter in minus 40, as we all know, but in like a shack where the, uh, you know, <laughs> you're all sleeping in the same bed with, I don't know, straw for a mat and the water inside is frozen in the morning. So you can kind of get an idea of how cold it is. Right. Um, one of the, one of the stories is they, they try and get water out of a, you know, a pond or whatever, and there's tadpoles in it. So they end up just boiling it and eating the tadpoles, right? You can kind of get a sense of what type of breed they were. And yet in almost 99% of all the stories, they talk about laughter and happiness and how it was a good life, a good life. And, uh, that's something pretty cool, right? Like you don't need, um, all the bells and whistles, so to speak, to recognize it, the good in life, right? I, you got to slow down, you know, what do they talk about? Slow down and smell the flowers, right? Like slow down and smell the roses. It's, it's a, 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 not, not exactly that, but at the same time, it kind of is, right? Like our world is just picking up speed, right? And COVID slowed everything down and maybe allowed a few people to kind of focus back in on their family life or their friends or, um, I know a lot of it's keep trying to keep us apart, but some of the people I've talked to have really, uh, embraced like, wow, it's just kind of nice not to have to run every second of the day. Right now we're doing more of this, which I love being in the room, but now that we don't have to travel four hours to do this, uh, is enjoyable too. And you got to look at the good with the bad because at all times, no matter if COVID had happened or not, there was good, but there was still bad. Right. And they come part and parcel. They're always there. For every strength, there's a weakness. In every weakness, there's a strength. And the, the more days that I spend on this earth, the more I've realized that. And, and the obstacle is the way. You can always find in it something that is the benefit, that makes you stronger, that helps you know polish the gem, right? And it all comes down to perspective is how you're looking at things. But, you know, there, you, you remind me when we talk about how easy things have gotten today compared, you know, compared to the pioneers before. There's another great book out there called The um, Celestine Prophecy, written by James Red. I've read it, yeah. yeah. What a beauty, what a beauty book. And if you remember, he says that, you know, while we went off trying to answer our science questions of the world, of when we figured out that we weren't the center of the universe and that, that we, we sent off all these scientists to bring back knowledge in the world, he says we really dedicated the humanity or human lives to uh, surviving. And, and, and we've gotten really good at surviving. In fact, we've made it very comfortable. And I speak just from our, our area. North of America. Yep. There's challenges all around. But we've, been, we've gotten really good at surviving, but we forgot to ask, what are we surviving for? Like, like we got all these modern comforts. We've got all of these things that are around us that are supposedly making our lives better. But then what are we surviving for? You know, I, I think it's important that people say, well, you know, how am I supposed to live this life? But they're asking someone else when really it's a question we should be asking ourselves is we got one shot at this. How do we live it? What am I going to look back on? What, what do I get to do? Right? Well, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you finally brought up a book. I'm like, I, I'm like in my mentally, I'm like, okay, got to read that. Well, he's making that sound really good. You finally hit a book. I'm like, well, at least I've read one of these things. Like, geez, what have I been doing? But one of the things I, uh, we're doing this bike trip here coming up. Uh, we're biking from Lloydminster to Tufnell, Saskatchewan, which is in the middle of nowhere, uh, and back. It's about 1,050 kilometers raising money for, for breakfast programs for schools in the area. And uh, that's how you came up, actually. That's why I was meeting with Donnie, is we were talking about the goat and getting involved with it. And Anyways, that's a, another story. But I guess... I had like it dawn on me, like it comes and goes, I guess. But like a month and a half ago, I'm like, you know, 
we just don't always assume we're going to be here for another 40 years, right? Everybody's going to, the average age is growing and we're going to be here until we're 82 and we got lots of days left. And then you, you kind of think about it and you go, yeah, but tomorrow cancer could hit. I drive a ton. I mean, we all know the statistics. We kind of forget about that, but I mean, driving isn't exactly the safest thing in the world. And it just, it's one instant and you're gone. It's like, well, did I get everything I wanted out of this life? And so I made the choice like two months ago to do this bike trip, right? Like, let's just try it. Let's just see what happens. And if it fails miserably, I tried. But what happens if it goes beautifully and great things come of it? Well, then you get to keep going and pushing and who knows? Who knows where that leads? But you only get one crack at it. Well, the fact that it's based on the success of others, it will be success. It, it will be. It's because you're, you're trying to help others around you. And so not only are you going to benefit from pedaling a thousand kilometers, which I got to say is impressive, right? But the fact that it's all dedicated to helping others, it, it, it will be a success. It, it can't not be in my eyes is yes, there'll be challenges and tribulations along the way, but ultimately the end goal is focusing on the success of others. And two, two quotes kind of come to mind on there is first is from Yogi Bear of all people in a cartoon. Gotta love that, Yogi that, Bear. That he said, you can't fail if you don't stop trying, which I absolutely, I tell my boys that all the time. And then the other one that, that comes to me is, uh, it was Teddy Roosevelt that said, you can either uh, rust out or wear out. And he says, I prefer the latter. And so I took that as, I, you know what? I don't want to sit here and rust. I don't want to sit there and take a look at all this wasted time spent. I said, I'd rather wear out. I'd rather take this torch we've been giving and burn it as bright as we can and hand it back all spent than having something left in the tank, right? Teddy Roosevelt has a ton of, ton of great quotes because he has another one about getting in the ring and uh, getting bruised and battered. But I'd rather be in the ring than, you know, sitting as a spectator. Uh, spectator. Now I'm torturing that. I don't have Dennis's ability with the quotes, um, but but I get what you're doing. I, I got to clarify. You know, you talk about telling the truth. I'm not biking 1,050k. I'm uh, one of ten individuals biking an hour-long stints doing 1,050k as fast as we can go all through the night nonstop there and back. Right we, on. We're on. we're doing it in a way that. Uh, COVID, we're abiding by COVID rules. We're, we're making sure that, uh, um, nobody's around each other for the most part. Right. And, uh, and safely by all means. And we got a bunch of rookie people I'm exposing, you know, it's funny. Um, I'm curious what this is going to do to a group of 10 people. Cause I, I'm a guy who, who had 15 years ago by Canada. So I have, I have experience with long distances, not that I've done it lately, and there's three other guys that have biking experience, but the other six, there's a couple of them that are like, yeah, I don't own a road bike. Well, we're getting them one and they're coming and we're going to find out what they're made of. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, exposing people to what they're capable of is a powerful thing for them to experience. And I'm going to find it again in myself because it's been 15 years. I haven't, haven't pushed my, pushed the envelope, so to speak in a while. And I'm looking forward to doing that again. I actually kind of get giddy just thinking about it and to have them do that to themselves will be fun to watch. Oh, for sure. You know, it's not just, uh, share your own riches, but it's revealed to them their own, what they have inside. And the other thing that I think you could introduce them to is padded bike shorts. That's <laughs> going to be something that is critical. All right. If they haven't been in the saddle for a long time, then that's definitely going to become their best friend on that trip. Now, I, I got to ask, um, I brought this up before. One of the cool stories Donnie told me about you is he's leaving the company you guys worked at in Edmonton. And on the same day you get canned. And he, the way he told me the story, I was just like, man, that's a guy I want to sit down with. Like that, that, that's something that's straight out of movies. And maybe I'm building it up more than what it was, but I thought maybe you could just tell me a little bit about it and see if there's a, you know, something I can pick at uh, just to add a little bit more to it. Uh, well, as I mentioned, I, the, the owner that I worked with was less than scrupulous. And it, it, the straw that broke the camel back was just taken from some of the salespeople. I decided to make that my stand. And that was the hill that I was going to die on. 
And, uh, and I'm very happy that I did. And at that point, I realized if someone like that can run a company, well, so can I. And then I figured if I'm going to be traveling for this company, well, then I can live wherever I want. Uh, and then I'll travel from there and do that. And I was always into sailing and surfing and everything else. And so we ended up, you know, I approached Kevin, got the rights to the program, started practicing what we preach by going out and talking to clients, building clients, built up from there. Uh, then we ended up moving out to the island and then we've been on the island and uh, the business just kept getting bigger where we expanded. We had more people on the team. Keynotes down in Las Vegas. I've done uh, MGM Grand, New York, New York, Planet Hollywood. I did the last one was in Florida at the World Marriott, uh, which is the largest Marriott in the world where we had 500 for a leadership talk from there. And that just kept building. There was a TV show that went. I helped write the book with Kevin. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that we haven't gotten into, which I know Donnie likes to share too, is I joke that I love sales and sales. I just spell it differently. And so I've got two concurrent careers. You and I were talking about this. So I've got Killing Her Bank that does the customer focused sales training and has morphed into leadership training, which people have really started to book as well. And then, you know, it's interesting when I, when I get into these courses, Sean, I, I, I say to people right away, I always find when people teach these courses, they feel that they have to have all the answers and that they, they feel that they have to be the know-it-all in this. And, and that's not who I am. And I'll say at the very beginning, I'm like, listen, I'm not an expert. An expert is someone who knows more and more about less and less till they know absolutely everything about nothing. I go, I'm a student. I'm a geek for this stuff. And so you may ask me questions where I'll go, I don't know. I can't answer that. And that's okay because we're here together talking about it and we'll come up with our own strategy. And so that's where like a lot of people, this last group that I did for the provincial government with the emergency preparedness a leadership course, he's like, well, why am I listening to you? And I, I said, well, I, I don't know. I said, I'm just a geek here. I said, I, you know, I've worked with a lot of people. I've read a lot of books. I've implemented a lot of theories. I've worked with a lot of crews from the Coast Guard, which we'll get to, to working with clients, to working with teammates. And I said, you know, I've learned a little bit along the way and I'd love to share it and uh, hear your thoughts as well. And then everybody goes home. Okay, well, what'd you learn? And now we start the conversation and then they end up loving the courses. So yeah, it's pretty interesting that way. So the sales side has really taken off and that's been very rewarding because every day I feel like I'm helping good people uh, achieve success in their role. But the other side that I have is the Coast Guard side of things. And so where that started for me is there was a chowder contest down in Cowichan Bay, close to my house here on Vancouver Island. And I was down there eating a bowl of chowder. And down on the road there is there was a, a really nice rib, a rigid hull inflatable. So what most people would call a Zodiac, a rescue boat that was sitting on the trailer. And so I'd recognized at the time I wanted to volunteer within the community. I wanted to help out the community. I knew that I loved boats. I knew that I wanted to be in the water. I'm standing there looking at this rescue boat, eating this chowder. And this girl in a uniform comes up beside me and she says, you like that boat? And I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a sweet boat. And she's like, would you like to take it for a rip? And I was like, I I'd love to take it for a rip. And she goes, sign here. And that was the Coast Guard Auxiliary. And the next thing you know, I'm at a meeting for the Coast Guard Auxiliary. And then I'm learning how to be a search and rescue guy on the water out of Mill Bay. And now I'm a geek for this stuff. I'm learning. And again, you know, the, the passion and purpose are contagious. So if you're forced to learn it and it's not something that you're interested in, you're never going to excel as much as someone that loves it and wants to learn more and get more out of it. And so I started to really learn that and I became a crew, went out on some pretty crazy calls, uh, worked my way up to the captain role where you got to go off up to Banfield. You take this training called uh, riot training, rigid hull inflatable operations training. Sean, some of the craziest things I've ever been a part of was in that course. Seven days, uh, five and a half meter seas, 7.33 meter boat. Uh, you know, it's got the twin engines on the back. You do your night runs with no electronics. They teach you how to run in the big seas. They flip the boats. You got to learn how to get out. It was amazing. So I did really well at that course. And they said, wow, you, you, you're right into this. Do you ever think about instructing? I, I said, well, I do it on the, my other career, not in the volunteering side. Would you, would you like to help out us? I said, sure. So then next thing you know, I became the assistant instructor for the auxiliary doing their on the water stuff. So I became their heavy weather handling, their search and rescue navigation, restricted visibility on the water where we teach some classroom stuff and simulator. And then I take crews out on the water. From there, I get, you know, I, I share this with you, Sean, people look at me and they go, whatever. And I start to, I, I share all this stuff and they're, they're incredulous. They don't believe it. And I say this to my wife Renee all the time. I'm like, people think I'm BSing, but they've got no idea. So from there I get, I get picked as one of the top coxswains. That's my rank 
is uh, small, what they call an uh, FRC. Star Did you just say top Coxman's? Coxon, yes, that's right. <laughs> that is that that is my title. So that's basically a small boat captain, right? Rescue craft, and I get picked as the coxswain of the year. And so they ship me off over to Germany to do this, what they call an IMRF crew exchange, where I'm with an international crew, and we toured the North and Baltic seas, sharing best practices for search and rescue. And and I'll share. I can I tell you. So tales. wait, I gotta ask. You're you're a kid from Edmonton. Yeah. How long did it take you to get comfortable with the high seas? Like I, that shit scares me. I'm still not. I have such a healthy respect for that. And you know, I did, uh, I grew up like water skiing, wakeboarding. Hey, you got a great lake. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my wife's got family out there. So all of it started with that, taking a little tinner out, going fishing, uh, you know, hopping behind a wakeboarding boat and doing that. And then we get into surfing and sailing, but you're, you're, your question of being comfortable in the high seas, I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I, in fact, I'm very wary and I have a very healthy respect for mother nature. And, you know, I can think of one of the worst days that I had is we're out at sea for five days. We pull into port and this is when we were in Germany doing the North and Baltic seas. We get an afternoon off. What do sailors do on their afternoon off? Well, we went and drank. And so we went and had a bunch <laughs> of pints of beer at the oldest pub in Northern Europe, 1208 i walk in they're playing billy jean by michael jackson it's filled with cigarette smoke dark tables it was so awesome and then we big pints of beer and next thing you know it's like 10 o'clock at night and we're ole ole and out on the on the pavement jumping around and yelling and then we get back to the ship and then the next day we're on the ship and we go out to sea and the seas are big they were big seas and all of a sudden we had a camera crew following us and we had uh, a journalist that was following us. And so they all get us down on the deck of the boat when we're heading out, we're all in our foul weather gear and the camera's there and we're all talking to people and everything. You can see all the crew. So, and I can remember the crew. I got uh, Jaco from Finland, Jaco from Estonia, Ollie from Iceland, Simon from Norway, Peter from Denmark, uh, uh, pops, we call them from, uh, Thomas, uh, from Denmark and I'm missing Gavin from the UK myself and then burned and another captain from the German coast guard. So we're all together from different areas and they do this thing on the TV and then they're like, okay, everybody up to the bridge. Now we're heading out to sea. It's really rough. Water's coming over and I'm hung over as everybody's hung over. And I feel the first bead of sweat start to come down, Sean. And I went, Oh no, Oh no rip the toque off, rip the jacket off. I start shedding gear as fast as I can, but I'm already sweating. I know what's coming next. I run down the back of the gangway to get out onto the deck. I'm pushing my way out of a three of my crew members that are also trying to get out at the exact same time to hang their head over the side of the ship for two days at sea. If you ever want to know what the projectile force of a salami sandwich is at Beaufort 7 Sea, <laughs> unfortunately, I can tell you that. And it was probably one of the, the roughest I've been in and the sickest I've been in. And uh, we did recover. We did some first aid exercises and jumped in the ocean, which helped wipe it all off. But when you ask about being comfortable on the seas is I'm not, I, I'm not comfortable, but I respect the seas. And my job is to get out there and help people that are in trouble and bring them back. Not necessarily spend a lot of time out there. Does the, being on the auxiliary, do you get called on a lot? Yeah, I would say that in our area, there's busier stations from where we are is we get probably 20 to 25 call outs a year. So a couple of months and we will have all the way from really minor to broken down, need a tow, calm water uh, to heart attack calls, um, you know, major medical emergencies, boat fires. So I've responded to a triple boat fire. I, I ended up doing a CPR on a guy for over 40 minutes on a heart attack call. It's been varied and enough to keep you involved and engaged but not too much like where i find like with the fire department you've got another great guy in your city aaron buckingham he's yep. a fire for there and uh the, the firefighters the, the the level of calls they get is really really overwhelming so this is a bit more manageable pace for sure okay well we're slowly running out of time here i i want to i want to go back you said uh, you were talking about when you were working for an employer he was doing things that wasn't uh on the up and up shall we say and you said it, you finally had a hill to die on, right? Like this was where you, you were going to, I'm really curious about that because I, well, from my life so far, 
there are very few people who will go to bat like that. Like I would say almost none. Like you're in a very fine company of many people will turn the blind eye, will just quit and go somewhere else. They will not take the stand, so to speak. So I guess, what did that teach you that moment, right? Like, because I I assume that's the first time you'd ever walked in and said, listen, this is the way it's going to go. And I mean, made it pretty crystal clear, either things change or you're out the door. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, uh, it was just down to values at that point. And I, I, you know, I've got certain values that a have been taught into me by my parents and b what I picked up and uh, it was respect others. It's respect the work that they do give credit where credit is due. And I really felt that this individual wasn't doing that. And I'd seen several instances and there was one kind of lie that I ended up catching them in that I just went, I can't do this anymore. I can't turn around and talk to other people when I know what's going on. And I'm not going to be the person that, that condones it. They say, if, if, if uh, you accept it, you condone it. And that wasn't the case. And so I just went, no, I, I'm, I'm going to stand up for what I believe is right here and let the world help carry me from there. And it has, it, it has, Sean. That's, you know, that's been that one defining moment. But yet at, in that moment where getting fired, where, you know, people could really look at that and say, well, that was the obstacle. And then they could quit and go a different direction when really it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. It was, but yet a lot of people would perceive that as a negative uh, moment in time, but really and truly it was the springboard that it, it allowed me, it, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? It catapulted me to do something that I knew I could, that maybe I was just too hesitant to take that first step. Well, I admire that. I've used the word admire a few times in this hour, but I, I find, uh, well, well, I'll say it again. Very few people would do that. Very, very, very few. And I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that. Like in, in the working world, to stick your head up, especially for somebody else, I mean, that's an, ad, an admirable quality you have. Now, as we close in, because I don't want to run over time for you, I know you got a course coming up. I want to do the Crude Master Final Five. It's five quick questions, short as long as you want to go. I'll make sure we're out of here so I don't run you over. Um, But a shout out to Heath and Tracy McDonald for supporting the podcast since the very beginning. The first question I always ask, Dennis, is if you could sit down with somebody like this, or in your case, stand with somebody, who would would you want to pick uh, their brain? Uh, pick uh, about their stories and who they are and some of their experiences. Living or dead? All right. Am I allowed to pick? Am I allowed to be magical on this? Sure. Or does it have to be within the living? No, I, I think uh, you get as magical as you want to be. I think I'd go back to one of the ancient philosophers. And, you know, I, I've spoken about Socrates, um, Seneca. Uh, I'd love to go back and sit with the greatest thinkers of our time. You know, I read the biography on Abe Lincoln, so he'd be another person that would be interesting to sit down and, and sit with as well. Um, yeah, so I, I would go back to the ancient philosophers. So if I had to narrow it down to one, I'd probably say Socrates or Plato to start. And then if I get more after that, I'd dig in on those. Well, then I'll, I'll follow that question up with, if you could go back in history and sit in on one conversation, who would you want to be sitting down with? Now you don't get to talk. You just get to listen. Yeah. Huh. Wow. That's a really good question. I don't know if I can come up with something quick because there's just so many things that I would love to be able to go back and be a fly on the wall for at that time. Hmm. You'll have to let me get back to you on that one. Fair. I'll let, uh, once you do, I'll make sure I, I post it. Um, you talk about all the books you like reading. What's one of the books maybe, uh, you've mentioned some of the ones that have been influential on you, but what's maybe something you're reading currently that you're really enjoying, say maybe the last year or two? Uh, well, actually, I just finished one um, called The Obstacle is the Way uh, by Ryan Holiday, which was a great book about the stoic philosophy of realizing what's within your control, what's without, look at the obstacle and recognize the obstacle is the path that makes you better. So that was really good. Um, Once I got finished that book, I've started another one called Letters from Seneca. And then again, this is all based on stoic philosophy. 
And it's awesome. And the thing that I love about this book so far is it's him writing letters to his best friend. That's a knight that's been shipped off to another country as a representative. And so they're writing letters back and forth. And when Seneca writes the letter to him, he always says, I feel indebted to you for your friendship. So I'm going to give you one nugget of wisdom in this letter. And so every letter, he gives him one piece of philosophical wisdom and then signs off farewell my friend so the book has been riveting so far because it's just all these letters of two friends going back and forth asking questions so um if i was going to suggest people to start reading and what they were going to get into first one would be the way of the peaceful warrior second one would be the republic and then from there i could list probably 40 other books that i think would be uh influential if someone listening to this was starting in sales tomorrow what is your one piece of advice you would give them moving forward? It's about helping people buy. It's about focusing on what they want or what they need and what can make their lives better. It's about asking good questions and it's about problem finding. And you can turn the way that you communicate and the way that you sell into a competitive advantage if you're very customer focused and you help people through the process as opposed to being selfish and trying to be self-focused and drag them towards some end result. And your final one, we'll have a little bit of fun with it. We'll take you back to the Nate Ooks. Let's assume Dennis was putting up the big points and tomorrow could have his pick of the NBA. Where would you head and who would you want to play with? Okay, again, so I would say historical or now? I think, well, let's go now. Now. We'll go now? Yeah. Well, I've always been a Lakers fan. So I have been Lakers from the beginning, and I loved Magic Johnson. Um, but they've been struggling as of late. And, uh, well, to play with LeBron would be great. Uh, but, I, you know, I think the Canadian in me would say that I'd have to go to the Raptors and uh, represent a Canadian NBA team. Because <laughs> as a kid growing up, that was never an option. To think that we would have an NBA team and the fact that we have an NBA team that's won an NBA championship, I think I'd love to don a Raptors jersey if I could. That was, uh, you know, I'm not, I can't sit here and tell you I'm a huge basketball guy. I'm not. But that run of the Raptors was some of the funnest sports I've ever watched. Like, it was just intense and Kawhi Leonard was the man. Like, that was a sad day when he left. But that year, well, not even year, that run we had with him was something all of us Canadians, you know, that got to witness it can never, that can't be erased. Like, like Joe Carter hitting the home run back in the day, right? Like, I know yeah. the, the, I was young for then, but my brother talks about it all the time, right? Like, that, that's a moment you just can't forget. Well, Kawhi Leonard hitting a couple of those shots is something you ain't never forgetting. Yeah, totally. And, you know, we could get on a whole different tangent on that one because it was the whole team, not just Kawhi, that won it. But I really feel that that run brought basketball to the masses in Canada. Like basketball camps were jam full. You drive by any outdoor basketball hoop. It was like the, you know, the Oilers run in the in the 80s where everybody was out playing street hockey. Well, everybody was out playing hoops. So, A, it got people active. B, it got them interested in the game that we created in the first place. So I think it was an incredible run. <laughs> Well, hey, I appreciate you uh, opening up some of your busy schedule to me. I've really enjoyed sitting down or, you know, half sitting, half standing. It's been a really enjoyable hour. So thanks, Dennis. Well, hey, I, I, it, I really appreciate getting the opportunity to get on here. I know it's a little bit scattered. There's a few things that we've talked about, a few different areas that we've gone. Um, but there's, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. And like I said, I really love the fact that you're focused on helping the community and helping people get better. And I'm excited about your bike trip. So I think that's awesome. I look forward to hearing about that and helping kids with school. So uh, it's a pleasure to interact with a, 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 a fellow kindred spirit. Quickly, if somebody listens to this and wants to get in touch, maybe get some sales training, et cetera, how do they, how do they go about doing that, Dennis? Uh, they can go to www.killingherb.com uh, or in your fine city there, you've got One Vision Consulting with Aaron Buckingham, who is a alumni of our program and a huge, huge proponent of it. Uh, he'd be a great guy to call and have a chat with. He can share a lot of the gems with you as well. So we've got the local Lloyd Minster source there through uh, Aaron and Donnie. And then if you're interested in more, definitely killingherb.com would be a place to look. So. Cool. Well, thanks again. 
Hey, it was a pleasure being on here and uh, I've enjoyed it. The only thing is I wish we could be having some beers and some chicken wings and then get even <laughs> deeper and some of the philosophical stuff. Hopefully we'll get that chance in the future, but I really appreciate the opportunity, Sean. Thank you. You bet. Thanks, Dennis. All right. Bye for now. Hey, folks. Thanks for joining us today. If you just stumbled on the show, please click subscribe. Then scroll to the bottom and rate and leave a review. I promise it helps. Remember, every Monday and Wednesday, we will have a new guest sitting down to share their story. The Sean Newman Podcast is available for free on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever else you get your podcast fix. Until next time. Hey, Keeners. Hope everybody's having a great day. Um, well, I got to give a shout out right off the hop to, to Jaden Colbeck. He reached out after after Ken and uh, mine's last podcast there, 168. And he just said, hey, Sean, just finished up listening to your latest episode. I can definitely get behind what you guys are doing and would love to donate. Um, so he's talking about uh, this bike for breakfast and and he wants to help. And there's been a lot of people reach out, actually, uh, and want to know how how you can you know get involved. And so um, there's a lot of things going on right now. But the easiest way, if you just want to donate a little bit of money, is go to the GoFundMe page. You can find that on you know any of our social media, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, all the links there uh, have the GoFundMe there. Uh, and I'm going to try and, and get a roundtable of a few of the, the bikers as, as we get a little closer. But uh, just appreciate all the support and all the kind words that have come from everyone. Um, I truly think it's, it's uh, it, it was a, um, I don't know, we're calling it a proof of concept. I call it a dumb idea. Like it's just a, a silly idea to bike to a quick dick and, and see if we could raise some money. And now it's just, starting to look like it's going to do a whole lot of good for a lot of people. So I appreciate everybody who's listening and, and, you know, hanging or tagging along and reaching out and wanting to get involved in this. And I think that's super cool. I think it's really a a powerful message about our community and, and uh, what we stand for. So hats off to all of you. Yes. Including you champer. And uh, I hope you all have a great Monday and we will, uh, we'll catch up to you Wednesday. All right. We got a great one coming Wednesday. Um, uh, A hockey A hockey star from the area hops back on the podcast, so I'm looking forward to that. All right? We'll talk to you guys Wednesday.